1: sword take your sorcery take your 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 wizards. Your, your slimes and Orcs.
0: your roll your charisma up into a ball and i'm a cleric with an ogre slaying knife that's got a plus nine against ogres oh no
1: roll for initiative roll for initiative <laughs> Can I have a Mountain Dew? My brother would never let me play uh, Dungeons & Dragons with him, so I'm pretty hazy. (laughs) A lot of the actual rules...
0: Well, um, what's the name? Of our, we'll get back to, the, to our Dungeons and Dragons experiences in a second, but let's introduce the show. Everybody, this is Cancel Too Soon, the
1: podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Wrap and Bloody Disgusting and IGN
0: and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I write for some of those places as well. They've published me. I'm published. Yeah. I'm a published but, author. You have dignity, Damon. it. <laughs> I'm not doing it for free anymore. Is that
1: uh, Don Lockwood oh. said in uh, S- Singing in the Rain, dignity, always dignity. Yeah. And then, of course, you smash cut to him doing something undignified. Yeah. Um,
0: so, D- dignity in $250, will buy you a sandwich.
1: So uh, this week on Cancel Too Soon, we are reviewing uh, a series that was selected via a Patreon poll. Mm. Our patrons get to select one episode a month. Uh, This was supposed to be at the end of June. It's a couple of days late. Sorry about that. But uh, you voted for the... 1983 a 1983 fantasy series that tried to combine some pretty genuine sort of sword and sorcery fantastical kind Mm. of storytelling with every once in a while and kind of sometimes at random they they break the fourth wall and do all these anachronistic jokes yeah like this like all of a sudden like one character is basically Madeline Kahn and it's weird that's weird. It's a weird mamma jamma. And it's called Wizards
0: and Warriors. Saturday, an evil plot is hatched. You and I can fly within the walls of Baldor's castle and simply kidnap the princess. Can Prince Eric conquer the demons of evil Prince Blackpool and his sinister witch Bethel? It's a desperate challenge to save the kingdom by rescuing Princess Ariel from her captors on Wizards and Warriors Saturday. Warriors, come out to play. Wizards, stay in and read. (laughs) (laughs) Study those spells. Uh, Wizards and Warriors, nice generic title. Nothing to do with the NES game of the same name. None Uh, whatsoever. I thought it was a direct corollary. I looked into it. Nope, just a generic fantasy title. It's it's a good
1: alliterative title, people like it. Dungeons and Dragons was taken, so Wizards and Warriors sounds just enough like it
0: that maybe you could siphon off some of that target demo. And um, what exactly is the target demo for Wizards and Warriors? It's difficult to tell. Because People who want to see
1: fantasy on television, but also don't respect it very much.
0: Uh, well, so the like the the Hercules slash Xena crowd. Because I got a big Hercules Xena vibe oh, on yeah, this thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, Wizards and Warriors
0: was laying down that sort of slightly snide, but... Tongue in can- cheek kind of presentation of... High fantasy. Yeah,
1: it's high fantasy. It's people wandering through the woods, fighting monsters, getting trapped in dungeons, throwing spells at each other, having big sword fights. But there's a lot of quipping, there's a lot of jokes, there's a lot of anachronisms. And when Hercules and Xena came along in the 1990s, they basically kind of perfected that formula. They found the right way to have that tone in every episode. Now, I'd never call Hercules or Xena perfect shows. Xena more so than Hercules, perhaps. Mm. But uh, they knew what they were. They had a really good vibe throughout. You liked the characters enough that you took them seriously and wanted them to succeed in their adventures. But it was yep. always pretty You're okay. silly. You were
0: okay when they did the slapstick. Yeah, yeah, when Xena did a musical episode, it was fine. Mm. And it helped that Lucy Lawless, who played Xena, could play it like as this... like. Stoic heroine But still Also make jokes She had a great Sense yeah. of humor Like yeah, a yeah.
1: legitimately Great
0: sense of humor um, This is a show That Similarly has It has a pair Of straight men who are ostensibly the main characters of the show. Well, let's lay down some vitals first. Okay, also, uh, yeah. okay, so
1: Wizards and Warriors aired on CPS from February 26th through May 14th, 1983. It aired on Saturdays, which you got to remember at the time was The Kiss of Death. Uh, it aired opposite hit shows like T.J. Hooker and Different Strokes and Silver Spoons. Oh God well, which it probably was thought it watching, was counter
0: di- I was really watching different strokes at the time. People yeah.
1: probably thought it was counter programming, but it's got such a weird niche. I don't know why anyone would find it. Uh, it was created by Don Rio who had a very long career. Uh, he's still working. He uh, just he, he created Blossom one okay, of his most famous shows. He did the great uh, the, the John Lehrerra show. In the 90s, oh, right. it was a really solid sitcom. I liked it a lot. Um, he did the Cancel Too Soon show Action, which we haven't gotten to yet, but we hmm. know we need to. Uh, and he did the Netflix series The Ranch. Okay, so still still doing things, uh, making new shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, it lasted only eight episodes, uh, but it did win an Emmy. For its costume designs. Yeah, it, the costumes were designed by a great costume designer named Theodora Van Runkle. What a Van, great name, yeah, great name. Theodora Van Runkle uh, did costumes for Bonnie and Clyde. She did costumes for The Godfather Part Two. Okay, she did costumes for Troop Beverly Hills, and she's a joke in the movie, in which Shelley Long, who has who's a Beverly
0: Hills. Well, first of all, you're a big Troop Beverly Hills fan.
1: Okay, I'm going to stop everyone right here. <laughs> if you haven't seen Troop Beverly Hills, we have nothing to say to each other. It's one of the great movies. Shelley Long plays a uh, uh, Beverly Hills housewife, very rich, uh, and her daughter is part of the Wilderness Girls. It's the uh, Girl Scouts, but you can't actually get the rights
0: to use the name. Yeah, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts are copyright, and they never license the name for any I anything. don't think
1: they ever officially have. So there's always, like, you know...
0: I'm trying girl, to think. girl Guides and Wilderness mm-hmm. Girls and... Yeah, you, Something. Yeah, the boy mm. agents of America. I don't know mm. uh, the, the scouts' guide to the zombie apocalypse, or you know
1: whatever. Exactly, because uh, they they hold their uh, their institutions in very high regard, and they
0: don't want anyone mocking
1: it. Mm. And I get that. So and uh,
0: very very slowly, slowly moving forward on certain things. Someday.
1: But in the meantime, we do have True Beverly Hills. Shelley Long uh, decides to become uh, sort of the leader of a group of wilderness girls, uh, but she doesn't have any survival skills. So she teaches them how to survive in Beverly Hills, like how to get a really good deal on like a diamond, you know, Uh,
0: (laughs) real life skills.
1: Yeah. You know, like... uh, various hairstyles etc um and but it's actually very wholesome and it actually is very positive and it is about sort of teaching people life skills that they can use in an urban environment and then eventually applying that to the woods and there's a, a great article on jezebel that i recently linked to on twitter kim it, it was this was years ago i consider it the high watermark for like film journalism and i'm not exaggerating they ranked Every single outfit Shelly Long wears in *True Beverly Hills*, and if you've seen the movie, she's wearing something outlandish and awesome in every scene, and it's always different. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in which she's showing up, and she's wearing this fabulous black number with these very striking bright green accents. And she just looks; everyone's like looking at her because she looks totally out of place in the wilderness girls. And she says, "Do you like it? It's a Van Runkle." Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, isn't that sweet? because not that cute? In the
1: name of it. She actually did the, the dresses. Um, made the dress. So, and I will say this: the costumes on the show are legitimately really, really good.
0: They're legitimately really, really good if you're working on a legitimately small budget. Agreed. But every once in a while,
1: there's a, there's a really sweet outfit or two. Um,
0: the, the one in the I think it's the last episode with the, what was the big evil, um, oh, crap. Vulcaris. Or Volcarin? Volcaras. Th there was this evil, like supernatural assassin. Volkar. Volkar. Yeah. Alright. Volkar uh, had like this big weird looking helmet and a big red suit of armor that made him even he was a big actor, but they put him, made him even mm. look even larger. And then they put essentially a, a theater curtain hanging off of these big horns growing off his shoulders, yeah. so it's like eight feet wide as well. It was pretty if, intimidating. If Van
1: Renkel had money, it probably would have looked really cool. As it stands, mm. it is distinctive and interesting. And yeah, again, yeah. for an early 80s fantasy show, this is not Game of Thrones. They did not have that money. A lot of it is on the cheap, but it's always pretty creative, mm-hmm. and people do look good in their outfits, so
0: kudos to that. But anyway, uh, back to the premise of the show. Yeah, um, so- there are ostensibly two leads, two Two princes, two princes that adore you. Mm-hmm. That's what I said now. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. There are two princes. Yes. Uh, I, I forgot the names of their kingdoms, but there's Eric <laughs> Greystone mm-hmm. and there's uh, Dirk Blackpool. <laughs> All
1: right. So as er- you can Eric imagine. Eric
0: Greystone is a good guy. He wears white. He's blonde. He's heroic. Yeah. He's kind of a dunderhead in some episodes, but mo- for the most part, he's just sort of a, a basic hero.
1: Yeah. uh, uh, He's played by Jeff Conaway. Mm. You probably know Jeff Conaway from uh, the movie Grease. He also co-starred on the shows Taxi and Babylon 5. Mm. Uh, And uh, Dirk Blackpool is played by the great Duncan Regeer, (laughs) who is best known to an entire generation for actually a really awesome (laughs) performance as Dracula in The Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. So he's the one who like picked up that like eight-year-old girl
0: and said, Give me the amulet tube. <laughs> Okay, mm-hmm. I can't do it. Good job. But, that's but Dun- he's cool. That's, that's Duncan Regehr. Yeah, he's got and, a and really he, cool look. And he plays sort of, yeah, this scenery-chewing heavy. And mm-hmm. uh, early in the series, he gets a hold of a monocle belonging to... Uh, uh, b- 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 uh, Vector. Oh, the, was Vector the Wizard?
1: Played by the great Clive Revel, who mm. was the original Emperor in Empire Strikes Back before they went back and recast him as Ian McDiarmid. Hmm. Um, Wait, he, he, was was, the face. he was the face yeah, they, yeah. The voice was someone else But he, the idea was he might have played him originally But then they recast it as Ian McDiarmid And then they recut but, The Empire Strikes Back To put Ian McDiarmid back in the movie So now you can't see Clive Revel in uh, it
0: But he was there, I swear it Clive Revel has one of the longest and most varied careers Of any actor He's done mm-hmm. a lot of voice acting Didn't He's we just a lot see him stage. in Probe? I think he was in Probe?
1: Yeah, he's just everywhere. He's just a really hard-working British actor. Got a good sense of humor, got a good (laughs) uh, uh, sense of presence. Um, So yeah, he's the evil wizard who works with Dirk Blackpool. Dirk Blackpool has this wizard kind of in indentured servitude because he stole the wizard's monocle. Mm -hmm. Which, for some reason, rather than a wand, they decided that a wizard's power all stems from their monocle, and if they don't have their monocle, they can still do magic stuff, but they're way less powerful. Mm -hmm. And Um, and they have to do what somebody says. Yeah. Uh, Which explains why this incredibly powerful... It's always the question, like, if Merlin is so powerful and so all-knowing, why doesn't he lead the kingdom? Mm -hmm. And if you're going to have the evil version of that, it makes even less sense. Why wouldn't the wizard take over? Mm -hmm. So they came up with a reason for this all-powerful wizard to be doing some mere mortals uh, bidding. Uh, Prince Greystone has a vassal. Named Marco, he's played by Walter Olkovitz. You know him as Jacques from Twin Peaks. That's right. Yeah, he's always... Yeah.
0: Most people know I'm him as a creep. Shock. I'm the Great Wind. Yeah, that guy.
1: Yeah. Uh, but the,
0: here, here he is young, and in the first... I think it's just in the first episode, and at sight, you think he's going to be sort of like the bumbling fat guy sidekick. Yeah. Like, they cast him to be a comedic type. Although, as the, the series progresses, he proves to be a pretty capable warrior unto himself. Yeah, he's funny, but and he is, like,
1: interested in food. But he's not a walking fat joke, and I do appreciate that. He also has the superpower to speak to animals. Which comes up not as often no, no, yeah, as you'd no, think. No, not but not is, often
0: at all, in fact.
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, the other main character who shows up in every episode... Is Ariel. Princess Ariel, a spoiled princess uh, who is theoretically engaged to Prince Greystone, but they don't have... That gifts. also doesn't
0: come up be. a lot. Yeah. No, no,
1: no. But uh, she is in full Madeline Con mode. She is played by yeah. Julia
0: Duffy well, from uh, New Heart. I was going to say Terry Gar, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, she is... Hmm. She's the, the star of this show. She's hilarious in this like, show. Every single one of her line readings cracked me up.
1: Yeah, and sometimes it seems like she's in a completely different show from anyone else, but her character is written that way. It's not like she's bringing anything weird to it. She's always just this spoiled, 1980s, vapid, socialite kind of
0: vibe. She's kind of a valley girl in a way. Um, yeah. There, oh, gosh, there's one, one episode where somebody's passed out, and she, she's tasked with sort of, like, washing his face... And just is leaning over, and I, I think it sounded like an improvised line. And she's like, sort of dabbing obviously She's so like, "Here, wash off with this wet stuff."
1: <laughs> like, it's you wa- mean water, water.
0: <laughs> this wet stuff, and like I had to stop the video. I just laughed so hard.
1: <laughs> she talks about how she, everything she does is because she's a princess. Uh, her big concern is staying attractive for her future husband mm. and everything she does is all centered around that so she never squints cuz cause squinting causes wrinkles and she gives an example it's like so for example if i don't if i ever mishear you i never go what i always open my eyes real big and go what <laughs> <laughs> So fucking. We've we've run into her before. She was uh, she was in an episode of Voyagers. She was in the last episode of Voyagers oh, yeah? where she was Nellie Bly and oh, she was tracking yeah. down Jack the Ripper. Uh. And I remember watching at the time and singling around and going, "She's good. Why wasn't she a bigger star?" <laughs> so here she had the whole series basically to herself because mm. everyone else is not up to her level. Especially Jeff Conaway, who looks like the daring hero. He's got that Prince Valiant hair, and certainly he's very well, he's fit.
0: Just, he has that sort of 80s mullet that was really hot at the time. But
1: uh, he's not funny here. And I remember him being funny on Taxi. Mm. He's not funny. Oftentimes he's just supposed to play it straight, which is fine. But every time he interacts with Princess Ariel, who I love, Mm. his his whole character beat is he can't stand being around her. And I'm like, no, she's the best part of the show. And I'm (laughs) mad at you for Mm. not liking her.
0: Well, the show needs a straight man. It's kind of unfortunate that the straight man is also the lead. Yeah, the lead is the most boring character on your show. That's never a good idea. I I wouldn't call him necessarily he's boring. pretty you know, look, boring. He, what he, makes him interesting? Well, he's not... He's definitely not interesting. Boom. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I rest my case. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he's perfectly capable. He does have a few comedic moments, so you know he's capable of it. But you need somebody to drive the action. And this is an hour-long program. And the stories are all very plot-heavy, and mm-hmm. in fact, they all kind of interconnect. So it's actually kind of ambitious storytelling, especially for a fantasy series in 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Overall, it feels more like a legit fantasy series with jokes in it than a spoof of actual fantasy. Different episodes have
1: different tones, and I think Mm. this is the doom of Wizards and Warriors, Mm. because certain episodes are very broad. There's a Haunted House episode, which is legitimately very funny and very silly, and Mm. it works. Uh, However, there are later episodes which have some jokey bits, but they're also as legit a fantasy show as we would get until Game of Thrones came around and took it Deadly seriously, and that is totally a vibe that worked for Game of Thrones. But this wasn't that. This was a show that seemed to be made by people who like the idea of fantasy archetypes, mm. but can't bring themselves to take it seriously. Like they know they're well, on cheap sets, they yeah, know was, that they know it's say, ridiculous, it's, and they can't ever fully commit to it. They always have to take it
0: down with a joke. Well, they they have to take it down with a joke because they don't have the budget to present an actual fantasy universe. They've got some nice costumes, but they look like costumes. They don't have nice sets. They they're not shooting on location. This is clearly uh, something done on the fly, done on the cheap, and it, it does have that sort of Mel Brooks spirit to it. Yeah, so, but I feel like I feel like that Mel Brooks spirit is because it seems like it's a function of
1: budget hmm. rather than actually having something to say and take down. That all of their barbs are never like pointed at the genre. You know, like, except maybe the broadness of certain characters. It's always just and silly jokes. And as a result, yeah, it yeah. doesn't really feel like it has a person, has a reason to be satirical. It just is because they didn't have the confidence. And when I grew up, you know, nowadays we have fantasy movies and it's always still hit or miss. Mm. Uh, but we do have hit fantasy films and TV shows. We have Game of Thrones, we have Lord of the Rings. Um, and we have the money to make them look. Pretty good. Mm. Some look better than others, but you can believe it. You know, Percy Jackson wasn't the most expensive movie ever, but you buy it. Okay. You know, you're willing to you're willing to go along. Mm. That second Percy Jackson movie is pretty good, by the I way. I like the first one fine too. No, I never saw the second, but the first mm. one's fine. Um. But in the 80s, when we started getting this big explosion of fantasy films in the wake of Star Wars, mm. and people wanted to do their own Star Wars, but sci-fi stuff's a little too expensive, but we can't get loincloths in a desert, so we'll do that <laughs> instead, and we'll have the same basic yeah, so vibe. And
0: animated wizards and what have you, yeah. Like, some movies
1: got away with it because they worked within their means. The, Conan, the first Conan, for example, looks great. Yeah. With the exception of a snake monster, which is fine but not super mega convincing like I like that it, snake monster. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I'm just I'm just saying it's not going to blow anyone's mind today, but it looks fine. Uh, boom or dragon slayer, they knew that to just throw the money at the dragon and everything else is just period costuming. The dragon and dragon slayer looks as good or better than any CGI dragon I've ever seen. Mm. It's incredible. However, there was a lot of cheap crappy stuff too. Uh, yeah. And when it came to the cheap crappy stuff A lot of which I really liked. Beastmaster is fun, (laughs) but you had to like you. The audience has to agree early on. Mm. I like the characters. I like the tone. This has a good sense of adventure early enough. I forgive you, the sword and the sorcerer. I forgive you. Now entertain me, Mm. and I feel like to get there, you have to have the confidence necessary to like. We have we have fun characters. We have a good premise. Uh, people will forgive our lack of budget if they
0: get invested in everything else. And the show never quite got there. I, I think you're being a little too absolutist on this one. I, I don't think, feel like it being absolutist at all. I thought I, it was I being think, pretty, I, I pretty, pretty you, forgiving. You're, you're saying that it doesn't have the confidence. I don't think it's a lack of confidence. I think they are just having a little bit of fun within these sort of fantasy parameters, which if but they, they had played straight would be kind of boring. But at the same time, and they do
1: play stuff straight, Later on, there are whole episodes mm. that aren't that funny at all and mm. are trying to take it really seriously. And it strikes me as a big shift. Like they wanted to do both, mm. but they never really had the wherewithal mm. to pick one. And
0: because it, well, they it's, didn't pick one, but again, it just feels scattered. I, I don't think it's scattered. I think I think they hit the tone that they were going for. And like yeah. I said, Hercules and Xena was was sort of the arc, the the antecedent to the or, or the. The child of this. Yeah, it came out like 15 years later. Yeah, yeah. and this is definitely, you can see the direct through line from this to something like Hercules and Xena, which is fantasy, yes, but it's a very playful fantasy because there is an inherent silliness to these fantasy stories. It's just sort of acknowledging that and -hmm. putting some modern anachronisms in it, and I think fantasy is a good place to do that. Maybe it's because I was raised on Mel Brooks films, (laughs) where I always had sort of like I always saw the spoof before I saw what what it was being was being spoofed, so I kind of got both at once. Yeah. Um, well, in any and, case, and this is not a jokey spoof. It's not necessarily trying to take down fantasy as a genre. That's my point. Uh, but it is having fun with it, and that's okay too. That's my point. You can it's even a- see that in modern shows like uh, *Gallivant* or um, or Matt Groening's *Disenchantment*, which is I, actually kind of a mediocre show. I really but, uh, didn't like that one at all. Yeah. Like I was
1: want- I was totally ready to be on board with it, and mm-hmm. I'm like four episodes in, and I'm like, "This sucks," and I don't want to watch it anymore. <laughs> and so like, I didn't. <laughs>
0: Like, it's um, like inconsistent uh, characterization. John John and, DiMaggio is really funny. What else you
1: got? Yeah. Um, I, again I guess my point is I don't understand after watching eight episodes of this show mm. why people thought it needed to be made. Like what's the mm. thing? Mm. What's the hook? What 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 was the thing that you were just like, okay, we could do any show we want, we had to pitch a show, mm. we pitched wizards and warriors. What made you want to do it? Because if it's all Julia Duffy's character, I get it, but she should have been the protagonist, if Mm. that's the case. So it's not. Mm. You wanted to have the adventure. You wanted to have the monsters. You wanted to do all of this stuff. You wanted us to care enough to actually bother trying. But we keep having these asides that feel like they detract from that and i oh, just not find not that all. i fi- Definitely okay. not well no, let's no. let's let's talk I, about some episodes i, I, I totally disagree i feel like mm. I feel, one thing i do feel confident in saying yeah i'm sure you can agree with me mm. is that certain episodes are sillier than others this is for sure so let's start talking about the first episode which
0: i would actually i don't have any hard data on this I suspect wasn't the first episode. No, well, the, f- the second and third episodes are a two-parter, and I suspect those two were meant to be the pilot. Yeah, like
1: the pilot movie or whatever. Yeah. But they ended up showing instead an episode called The Unicorn of Death, directed by Bill Bixby, who was mm-hmm. the Incredible Hulk and did directed a lot of TV. Yeah. Uh, so The Unicorn of Death refers to the latest plot uh, by Dirk Blackpool and Vector uh, to win the war between the kingdoms and what they do is it is princess ariel's birthday and so they send her not a trojan horse but a trojan unicorn weather vane with a nuclear bomb in it
0: yeah more or less
1: yeah so it's got this magical bomb in it and it's gonna go off in a certain time and our heroes uh, eric and marco find out about the bomb, but they don't know where it is. And so they actually leave the, the bomb. We know where the bomb is. It's at the top of the castle. like It's
0: right it's there. In the weather van. Yeah, so yeah.
1: they leave and they get in all these adventures while they're searching for the thing that we know was right where they left. Mm-hmm. It's not even a mystery. Um, and then at the very last minute, they find it. And Eric uses a bit of magic that he learned from the wizard Tranquil. Played by Ian Wolfe, who is an actor with a huge number of credits. He was born in 1896. He was in like he was an old man in Star Trek. Yeah, he yeah. was. He was in the. He was in THX 1138. Mm-hmm. He was in Rebel Without a Cause. He was in the Julius Caesar with Marlon Brando. He was in the Best Picture winner Mutiny on the Bounty in 1935. <laughs> Yeah! He's
0: also in the Barretts of Wimpole Street. Yeah, yeah he's, like he's, he's, he's been around. He's just had an incredibly
1: long career. And the uh, the version of Wizards and Warriors that we were able to track down wasn't like... I heard there was a DVD release. We weren't able to track that down. We, we found an old VHS copy. And it's so faded that when you see this character who is wearing all white and has a huge white beard, I think... Thought he was naked and only had a beard. <laughs> I thought he was like that bearded guy in Monty Python's The Life of Brian, whose beard mm. is so long he doesn't yeah. need clothes. Like that's not the case. So he had taught uh, Eric the importance of mind over matter, and that you could basically throw something up to the moon if you just concentrated hard enough, and that pays off. Basically, mm. um, over the course of the episode, they are swallowed by a mountain monster, which is kind of a fun visual. Uh, they get into a, an arm wrestling contest, but on either side of the arms, there are poisonous snakes and they're really oh, fake looking snakes.
0: There's, yeah, a little, it, They're puppets, essentially. It's a table with holes in it. still fun. Yeah. I was, I was happy
1: to go along with it because it was a fun premise. Mm-hmm. Um, and Julia Duffy is just the entire time, just only concerned with her presence. I
0: wish I could, I wish I'd written down more of her
1: dialogue because she's just so great. She's really, really damn funny. And like, she's being seduced by the brother of Dirk Blackpool, like the the kind of sniveling uh, brother. Justin. Yeah, and he actually gets her to leave the castle. Jay Kerr plays Justin Greystoke, yeah. He gets her to leave the castle and takes her to a dive bar full of, you know, wretched hive of scum and villainy, which she takes to very well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Justin is a fun character because... Here, here's what I like about the show. We have our heroes, the two main characters. We have the villain. Everybody else is a callow coward in this universe. Pretty much. Justin is will take any excuse he can just to drink and be a slug of bed and sleep around. Um, yeah, the the princess is really shallow. She's only concerned with va- uh, her own vanity. Um, yeah, Blackpool has a brother too. Um, Oh golly! No, that's no, no. That's that's Blackwell's brother that
1: takes Julia Duffy.
0: Oh, you're right. Yeah, I was like, thinking.
1: I was thinking of Great Greystone's brother. Graystone has a has a has a drinking cowardly sorry, brother. Justin
0: is the drinking cowardly brother. Sorry, yeah. Justin is the the one from the episode. Sorry, right. sorry, I mixed them up.
1: No, no, no. I, I'll forgive you. <laughs> you're you're for, fine for
0: mixing up supporting characters. Jeffrey Jeffrey, Jeffrey Blackwell played Jeffrey by Blackpool. Tim
1: Dunigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was in Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Hey. He was also the original face man in the pilot for the A-Team.
0: That's right, until he, he was got... recast
1: by yeah. uh, Dwight Schultz. Uh, uh, no, it was Dirk Benedict. All right. D- Dirk Benedict was face man. You're
0: right. You're right, you're
1: right. And Bradley Cooper it, was face man in the movie.
0: Um, mm. So, yeah, the first episode is, is breezy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Again, I I think it was the first episode after the pilot, technically. mm -hmm. And um, it also feels like they're still getting some characters kind of in place.
1: Yeah. Uh, So the pilot opens with a young boy going up to the wizard, uh, the Tranquil. And the kid basically says the following. Hey, we started in Medius Res and we kind of forgot to set everything up. Can you tell me what happened? Yeah. So it's like, could you like, could you introduce the pilot? And the wizard's just like, sure, whatever. So uh, we cut to, it's actually in an, an indeterminate amount of time earlier. It could be weeks, could be months, could be years. Um, when the prince is on his way to the castle to meet Julia Duffy, but once he gets there, she's already been kidnapped by Dirk Blackpool. He's got to get her back. Mm-hmm. Uh, along the way, he uh, the Dirk Blackpool steals Vector's vecting, monocle <laughs> is he monocle. doesn't need it to read I don't get why it's a thing uh, he also it's, f-
0: it's an enchanted witch. it doesn't look like a monocle is the thing yeah. it looks like a like a something that fell off of a chandelier it's like almost a ball yeah uh
1: Dirk Blackpool conspires with a witch named Bethel played by Randy Brooks Randy Brooks from the last precinct oh yeah I knew she he looked did. familiar thank you <laughs> thank you for noticing that Another show we covered that was mm. weirdly ahead of its time.
0: Um, yeah, she, she played the trans character. Yeah,
1: she played a trans character in a primetime series in, decades before in, in anyone like, got... When was that
0: series? Like, 85 or yeah. something? Yeah. I mean, she
1: was a woman playing a, tr- a trans woman, but mm. still noteworthy. You know, yeah. cer- mm. certainly no not, one else was doing she, it. She
0: wasn't a transact. You know, she's not a trans actress, but... Uh... Yeah, playing yeah. A trans character, main character, one but of the main cast of historic note. Yeah, maybe at least a footnote. No, nobody remembers the last precinct because it wasn't that
1: good. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. Adam West running a wacky police precinct uh, with uh, was it Ernie Hudson in that one? Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: In, in I think he he vanished after a couple episodes, didn't he? <laughs> Ernie like Hudson? That.
1: No, he, he Ernie Hudson vanished from Cop Rock. But I think he was actually a significant part of Of The Last Priest. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's so hard to keep track of the history that no one cares if
0: we keep track of. It's so hard. Yeah, the witch Bethel. uh, Yeah. Uh, uh, Extremely scantily clad. Yeah, she she essentially wears a silver bikini
1: with, like, a wrap. She looks like Frank Frazetta drew her, and then even Frank Frazetta gave up too early in the clothing process. (laughs) Frazetta was just like, I need a sandwich. And when he got back, he was like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fine it's fine <laughs> it's enough
0: R- Rainy, she's, she's wearing a ribbon and Randy Brooks is also hilarious generally wanna... speaking she's very funny did you ever yeah. see The Man with Two Brains yeah yeah she, she was the, the squeaky voice street oh, walker yeah. she's then. funny she's really really hilarious oh, okay so it's always good to see her get some things she's not in every episode but when she's she shows up she's only in up, two or good. three episodes but she and yeah. her character has a lot of agency yeah even though she's in a bikini she's taking charge of every situation um so yeah Dirk Blackpool's gonna destroy everybody. He's
1: kidnapped Julia Duffy, who, of course, is not a convenient hostage. <laughs> um, and uh, it concludes, I will say this, this two-parter concludes with a pretty rock-solid sword fight. Yeah. It uses the space. There's a lot of art deco uh, sort of production design in this one. You know, period accuracy is out the window. They're just oh, going for whatever f- looks it, interesting. And-
0: they're... It's not a period. It's, it's no. vaguely it's it's cost- vaguely costume old. shop medieval. It, yeah. it doesn't even look there's no authenticity. They're yeah. not even trying.
1: The, not not the issue yeah. at all. But uh but yeah, it's a cool sword fight. They do this that cool thing they used to do in like Masters of the Universe, where whenever swords clashed, there was like animated on little energy crackles. Yeah. Which, you know, of course is nonsense, and, but fuck it,
0: it's magic. Who cares? It's you, fun. Let let let's play. There are also like throughout the series, there's like mind bullets and little tiny bits of spell so they animated in those little animated like shimmers mm-hmm. and I gotta say as somebody who was raised watching those animated shivers they, they give me shivers I gotta tell you I, I like, love that kind of effect and I, I wish there was some sort of modern equivalent it's, it's weird as we
1: like took that process of like creating like energy or Kirby mm. crackles whatever you want to call it uh, to films and we gave it to computers. They just got a little too mathematical. When you had to paint them all, they just
0: felt a little bit more. There's more personality. Felt more magical. Yeah, felt they, more weird. You know, the artist's hand was in there. That's why. Yeah, uh, it just doesn't always stop, come across. Stop motion will always look better than CGI, just because there's a human. F- Imperfection to it. Yeah, yeah, it feels so handmade. The, the perfection makes it less interesting. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's hard to be wowed by special effects anymore. They just look too natural now. So, uh, The Kidnap and the Rescue, mm. as a two part origin
1: story, mm. we suspect, pilot, uh, is, you know, it has actually a pretty good, very low budget fantasy comedy. Yeah.
0: Like it's good, fine. good
1: adventure comedy. Like, it's fine. Like, you can just watch it on its own, and the the wraparound device with the wizard would be ridiculous. I do, like, in the second episode, uh, they go back to the wizard talking to the kid, and the kid's just there on the wizard's lap, and he just sort of smacks the wizard a little bit, and it's like, hey, you fell asleep. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's for <right>. a week? <laughs> like, what happened? Um, mm-hmm. The next episode mm-hmm. is one of my two favorite episodes. There's two episodes of this I genuinely really like. Uh, and and this, this one is, is the the haunted House episode. Yeah, not, this is a funny terror, episode. Yeah. This is a legit. This is when they completely leaned into the comedy aspect, and they just had a really good time. Uh, it opens with uh, Eric. I always forget his name. Eric and Ariel er- are on Eric a picnic. Stone, yeah. Her costume in this picnic is impeccable. Like, it's a <laughs> really... I don't know why. they really got a lot of air time. She has more screen time in this episode than I think any other episode. Like I think they, you're right, yeah. they, they really give her a lot to play with this time. She's on a picnic with Eric. It's just sort of them sort of feeling each other out, seeing if they want to get married. And she has him entertain her with stories of a nearby castle, which is allegedly haunted and or cursed.
0: Hmm.
1: Her dog runs away, runs into the castle, and they explore it a bit, and it's kind of spooky. But it turns out the curse is if the person who owned the castle was an animal lover and if you injure an animal in his presence, you become trapped in the castle and it's basically a never-ending nightmare. And she's, like, totally fine with this. And then right as they're about to leave, she's bit by a mosquito and she slaps it. And all of a sudden, the doors close. And and all of a sudden, all the chairs that were totally empty now have really cheap William Castle skeletons in it.
0: I love cheap William Castle skeletons. They are great. Don't you knock cheap William Castle skeletons. I'm, I'm
1: celebrating it. The tone in this one was just right for me.
0: Uh, it There's a definitely, like, a Dark Shadows the TV series vibe to it.
1: Yeah. That's a good well, I, thing. I like that vibe.
0: Uh, haunted houses kind of need to look cheap, <laughs> it in movies and on TV. Mm, there's a few exceptions, like when the, Robert Wise's The Haunting. That's fair. The that's Shining. Fair. There's the shi- a couple yeah.
1: of exceptions. There's a couple yeah, yeah. of people who manage to take a budget mm. and make it work. But oftentimes like the budget, all they do is end up making they,
0: the remake of The Haunting, which is just ridiculous. Or or they over design it yeah, and it looks with, too like remaking. like. like the haunted mansion, or, mm-hmm. or or I know you like it. I don't. Uh, Crimson Peak, not a, not mm-hmm. very fond of Crimson Peak. I, I feel like the design looks great, but like that's not a, it's not a really forbidding place. It's just sort of a neat thing to shoot in a movie. Yeah, I'll and, let you and, have that.
1: I, I've I used to be a bigger fan of the movie than I am, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you have that. I'll oh, let you have that, but um, yeah. But, but when
0: they look like this, when you have something mm. that looks like you did in high school, <laughs> for some reason that feels more authentic to me. That's well, like much more exciting to watch.
1: And basically, it's just an entire episode of Eric trying to figure out a way out of here, and then the second his back is turned.
0: Some she's like sucked into a wall. Or she's sucked into yeah. a
1: wall, or there's like a ghost impersonates Eric and tries to chase her around, or a ghost impersonates Dirk Blackpool and mm-hmm. whatever. Like there's always like have something. Get, have screwing to get those other her,
0: cast members in there. But there's
1: always something screwing with her mind, and you can see her. It's just it is driving her bonkers <laughs> the entire time, and she keeps mm-hmm. like stabbing people with pins and trying to ask them questions that only they would know, but it's always something they would know, and they always have to explain that to. her even if they're ghosts and, it's, <laughs> and um i like how even though it looks cheap even though it looks silly i actually did pick up on a little bit of desperation at the end because i'm just like how are they getting out of here <laughs> like every time they are actually they're like, wrapped into the story oh, a right. little bit like just how are they like every time they go through a door it takes them back where they were and i'm just like i don't see the dangling plot thread or the clue or something that's gonna let them leave and honestly i'm not sure they ever fully resolved it i think they just sort of ended the episode and they left
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah i I don't how did they get out i'm trying to remember
1: (laughs) i know i know that uh uh, marco uh rushes to their rescue and breaks Mm -hmm. in with them and there's a great scene with him and julia duffy where he's trying to tell julia duffy he is who he says he is and she says she believes him and then she knocks him unconscious and then she just has to leave him there for the rest of the episode cuz she didn't realize it was really him um yeah i don't know it's it's i always like there was there used to be when we used to write for uh, blumhouse.com mm. Uh, which was back when Blumhouse, you know, they do all the paranormal activity movies and the sinister movies and all those, the purge. Uh, They had their own like horror publication website, like their own version of Fangoria Mm. and nothing to do with the movies, nothing to do with the movies or paychecks didn't come from the same place. It was just the name. They just lended their name to the
0: Mm.
1: publication and it was really fun. A lot of great people worked there. And there was a series of articles someone did over there called, a very spooky episode. And the idea was most shows that run long enough that aren't horror shows eventually do a haunted house episode or, or an episode or a with a-, a Halloween m- special. Or a yeah. mummy episode. There's always just one kind of spooky episode. Right. Just for funsies. And this is the very spooky episode of Wizards and Warriors. And uh, yeah, I had a good time with this one. I feel like this was the one where they found the right mix of- Fantasy nonsense and comedy, because mm. the comedy was th- there throughout. Well, and because be, they let Julia Duffy carry it and she can true. do Ju- it.
0: Julia Duffy is hilarious. She has, I, I think you're right. I think she does have the most screen time in this episode than any, any others. But this was also the one where they didn't play into the fantasy setting. Very heavily. Not very heavily, no. It was, yeah, kind of a a limited location. It's more haunted house stuff. Honestly, you you don't see haunted house stuff in, like... Like, they don't visit a haunted house in Lord of the Rings, for instance. Well, they go to the... Ghosts show up on a cliff, and they look like guar and they fight each other, (laughs) and, you know, that's the kind But that's not spooky. That's just... It's freaking weird. I don't know when Aragorn
1: has to, like, rally the ghost troops and everything like that. They look kind of neat, but... Um, but it's not a haunted house you no, know. It's, it's not, not about Forbidding house. and fear no, you know, right. And really You could take out All of the medieval Trappings of this mm. And just have it be About two people Having a picnic who end up in yeah, a haunted and, house and, they, and you have the same story they act like Modern
0: people anyway So yeah. it, could, it could have been modern But yeah the, the fantasy element Just lends a little bit Of like fun absurdity mm-hmm. To the haunted house right, uh,
1: The next episode Is called Skies of
0: Death This is the canon episode Yeah
1: this And no Not because the canon group Was involved well, Sadly that would no have been, That would have been great Now this is the episode and there's a lot of fantasy shows that do this where there's an anachronistic bit of tech that mm. could completely change the war. In Lord of the Rings uh, it was when Saruman basically invented explosives and mm. at the end of the two towers you know, he was going to basically use it to win wars
0: mm.
1: no one else had it Makes sense. In uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, there are people who had figured out like blimp technology. Right. You know, it was just uh, the, really ahead of its time.
0: The the one that stands out most in my mind is Princess Mononoke. Oh, yeah. Where uh, a, a, a tribe of people have invented sort of essentially guns. Mm-hmm. But they're really primitive guns. They have to like put smoldering sticks in. They, there's no like mm-hmm. trigger mechanism yet. And that is the thing that sort of Incurs the wrath of nature in that well, moment. Well, it's not, it's not just incurs the wrath
1: of nature, it's, uh, it, it's industrialization in general. Yeah. Because they have found a place in the woods, they are mining the woods, they are cutting down the trees, and they're doing it for noble reasons. They're actually, like... They're curing build, people. Yeah, curing it's like people taking taking illnesses, of illnesses, giving uh, uh, sex workers an opportunity to make a better living for themselves, and then all the animals are, and the forest gods are mad because you're encroaching on our territory. Mm. So no one's really evil. But, yeah. uh, which yeah. is, and then which the, is why that's
0: such a great movie. It's but, such uh, a great
1: movie. It's so great. Yeah. But like here it's not about that. Here Dirk Blackpool
0: and Vector have invented a big-ass cannon. And the fear is that the cannon will be good enough, like eventually will be good enough, mm-hmm. that they can es- essentially hit the enemy castle from home plate. Is that from where they are. Will they invent a missile, basically? Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and so it becomes, basically, this show's version of the guns of Navarone.
0: Yeah. Where uh, our heroes have Eric to find... W- yes, yeah, has to go to the camp and figure out a way, to yeah. get intel, and then figure out a way to yeah, take they, out the cannon. They
1: have to uh, climb the sheer face of a mountain, because that's the only place that isn't guarded, uh, in order to get up there and destroy the cannon. And then they trick them into destroying their own cannon, because otherwise they die. Yeah. Um, Honestly, this it's, one left almost no impression on me.
0: Well, it's it's the most straightforward of all yeah. of the eight episodes. Where there's actually, I think this is the one with the least amount of comedy. I'm
1: trying to remember anything. I'm sure Julia Duffy said something funny, but I yeah, honestly well, don't recall.
0: And, and Eric kind of he was. I think he was the most. He was the most comedic in this one, in that he seemed really put upon mm. by his quest, and I think that was the note they needed well, to hit. Well, this one he finally they
1: finally introduced mm. and made a regular character. His shiftless layabout brother. He finally has yeah. someone to play off of because Marco is just a good, solid support class mm-hmm. type character. Someone you actually want to have around. When you have someone, he f- is forced to deal with because he's his brother. He's also royalty, but who is also who also just sucks. But he has mm-hmm. to deal with him, and he can't like betray him or mm-hmm. feed him to the wolves or whatever. Yeah um all of a sudden his exacerbation feels justified his exacerbation with julia with julia duffy always comes across as a little condescending and sexist oh she's into girl things Mm. but with his brother he's just like hey we're gonna go through the front lines we're gonna take him down we're gonna kill him all and he's just like you do
0: that i'll be back here
1: i will be at the brothel drinking and having sex He's, he's only kidding, folks. I am not kidding. I will literally do that <laughs> while you do everything else. It's not the actual mm-hmm. line of dialogue. I wish it was. Um, so it doesn't really mean much to me. Uh, the next one is Caverns of Chaos. And this is the bottle episode where we finally mm-hmm. get an excuse for Eric and Dirk to spend a lot of time together.
0: They're, they're more or less handcuffed together. And I think this... I always... I roll my eyes when I see these episodes of the two characters that bicker a lot are now in an enclosed space together. Mm-hmm. Won't it be funny to watch them argue? No. Generally I really not. I don't like watching people scream at each other when nothing else is happening. Well, that's the laziest way yeah, to do it. If you like,
1: have characters with some nuance or mm-hmm. ca- actors who rarely have a chance to really play off each other for an extended period of
0: time, yeah.
1: it can be really effective. There was a really funny episode of That's My Bush where they made fun of bottle episodes. <laughs> oh. And throughout the episode, people kept finding themselves in confined spaces with other members of the cast. Mm. And they knew they wouldn't be able to escape until they came to some sort of epiphany. So oh, by the end so of they the... they
0: had to rush through the, epip- the epiphanies. Yeah, after a while,
1: it's like, oh God, no, damn it, we're stuck in this elevator together. Uh, I know I've always made fun of you, but I've secretly always respected you for making your way in this uh, cutthroat political industry as a woman. Yeah, well, I've always kind of thought you were cute. Doors
0: open. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable. It's really good. But there was an episode of Deep Space Nine where they were shooting on location. It's one of the um, outdoor episodes. And... It was Odo and Quark. They had crash landed together. Oh yeah, yeah. This... And and they just yelled at each other the whole episode. It's like, come on, man, mm-hmm. just get to it. I don't I don't need well, to spend an entire hour watching you two yell at each other. I like Odo and Quark as much as anybody. I love Odo and Quark. Like... when they're on the station in their element. When they're taken out of their element, just yelling at each other, talking about how much they hate each other. You need. You I need think I liked the conclusion that. because at the end they just said, "Well, we survived." And I still hate you. Well, like, they, I, they didn't come to, like, respect each other anymore. I Yeah. This one actually has
1: the ingredients of a good bottle episode. Because well, I,
0: I think, no, I think it does it right.
1: I think, I think because what happens is, A, these are characters who've never spent more than a couple minutes on screen together, and it was always antagonistic. They were always fighting each other. They never had a reason to slow down and talk. Mm. So here what happens is, Dirk Blackpool, there's a, there's a plague. Uh, mm. Eric's father has it and Dirk Blackpool has it and the only cure is in this haunted cavern full of death traps and monsters. It's like a magical piece of fruit that they have to eat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And the the thing is is that if you try to kill someone in these caverns you're trapped there forever. So naturally as soon as they see each other they fight and they get trapped there forever until the end of the episode when they figure out how to get out. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, But throughout the episode they are forced to rely on each other because
0: they're they're physically tethered at Mm -hmm. some point
1: but like even so like Mm -hmm. they'll be like trapped on either side of a door and the only way to get out is to trust each other and that's the last thing either of them would ever do Mm. and honestly they share a few moments where we actually like talk about Dirk Blackpool's upbringing and how he was like trapped in a room full of spiders Mm. as like punishment or whatever and it's just basically about how yeah, we're we were raised very different and became very different people. It's Feeling, not like a it's not like a meaningful uh, epiphany, but at least it gives them an opportunity to have some character.
0: It's a it it's not necessarily, it doesn't feel like a big meaningful epiphany, but it is really important to a show like this. Mm-hmm. Because okay, you have these two enemy combatants who are always at each other's throats. This is a light show. It's a comedy show. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids could watch this. I I would say it's even a kids show. I would say it's probably a kids and, show. And and you have to have some sort of, however you want to manufacture it, a reason why they're not just murdering each other. Why the bad guy just doesn't go in and cut the good guy's head off?
1: They have a lot of rules that they made up for the yeah. show. Like there's a rule that wizards and witches aren't allowed to kill human beings. Yeah, that's, that's why just a rule. because the show would be over. Exactly, they're wizards exactly. and witches. They're all powerful. So
0: <laughs> you you have to. It's is a good way, I think, to perpetu keep the conflict perpetual. You know, keep yeah. making ma- maintain the status quo have the characters respect one another in communicating with each other mm-hmm. and give us sort of an intrinsic reason why they wouldn't just kill each other. Yeah, It's like, I want to take over your kingdom, but I don't, not out of hate. I'm just, I'm hungry for power. I want your land. I want your resources. I want your subjects, but I'm not there to just kill you. I'm well, not an assassin. Well, they, and and they, it gives the bad character a little bit of heart, which I like, and it gives the good character a little bit of forgiveness which is necessary for a hero
1: I, I actually like there's a part where mm. Dirk Blackpool is talking about how you, you don't know how lucky you have it all of your people have uh, food and everything like we, mm. we're we fighting we live in the north it's actually a lot like Game of Thrones like it's colder up here we don't have as many crops and everything like that and we just don't have as much that's why we keep trying to invade your lands because mm. you have all the prime real estate and to which Eric says you know all your people could eat if you gave the money to the if you gave the food to the people instead of your soldiers mm. to which Dirk Blackpool is like well
0: well, I'm not going to do that.
1: Yeah, well, I have politics. Well, I, I, well I, I know that, but... This is also one of the episodes in which, while the main action is happening, Vector is like scheming behind the scenes. Here he teams up with the witch Bethel in order to... Because Blackpool's probably going to die... They're too. gonna. They're, they're, they they're scheme to have her marry his brother because yeah. he's next in line to the throne, and um, it kind of goes nowhere. But it is kind of fun to see them try. I like these. Like, I like that. Vector is basically like Starscream, and like in every episode, there's always like He's <laughs> like Starscream. Starscream is Starscream is to the 1980s what Iago is to the rest of the period of time of literature. <laughs> We're like, so
0: so in, in, we had like, Iago, and, six, and then we had Starscream. 1603, or whenever Othello was written, and we go forward, 16, 1700s, 1800s. 1983-ish. No, 1984, when that show debuted, it, it just replaced by Starscream.
1: Starscream was, mm. in
0: my opinion... And Iago's of, just gone.
1: Well, he's he's... Look, I- Iago <laughs> gave us Starscream, and for that, I will be eternally grateful. Mm. The idea of Starscream was, you know, Transformers—they're more than meets the eye. They're robots from outer space who turn into stuff. Who gives mm. a crap? What I loved about Transformers, like my favorite thing in Transformers, was Megatron, the li- evil leader of the Transformers, had a second in command who openly tried to sabotage him at every turn, oh, yeah. like. Megatron could trip on a rock and Starscream would immediately jump on his back and say, Megatron has fallen! I am your new leader! And I loved that about him. I love that kind of open antagonism because that just leads to like this, your bad guys can be constantly bad guys but also kind of funny. Mm -hmm. And here Vector and Dirk Blackpool have that. And oftentimes Vector will be like, ah, we've invented this new weapon. Vector's like, great, you
0: test it out. Uh, I don't want it. <laughs> well, I think Why? I think you should... um my no reason. What if Oh my god. What happened? This crossbow fires backwards. Who would have funk it? Someone could have been hurt. Somebody fix that. <laughs> You, like, you you you're executed
1: i forgot to mention it in the night of terror episode the haunted house episode while everyone else is trapped in the haunted house dirk blackpool and vector get drunk and play oh, board right, games right 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 it's really it's like the funniest stuff they get drunk and play board games and they're just they kind of hate each other but they are having a good time and then finally dirk blackpool says well when we play for some real stakes we'll play for your monocle and he's just like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I'll play for your monocle. And then when Vector finally wins, Dirk Blackwell just takes the monocle and, like, evaporates the whole game board. And it's just like, we weren't playing
0: games. <laughs> it's just like a dick. Funny evil guy.
1: Anyway, they they cure the diseases and they get out of the caverns. And it's a it's an okay episode. Uh, the next episode is my other favorite episode. It's called I, The Dungeon I, of Death.
0: I know why this is your favorite. It's your favorite because it looks like Conan the Destroyer. Yes! Uh, this is where... Um, <laughs> That's exactly right. Marco's been kidnapped by uh, by the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And he has... Like, he has some sort of information. I forgot what it was. It, it's um, like Mission
1: Impossible. He has the name of all, like, the secret agents who right, are behind right, enemy right. lines. And,
0: and in order to rescue him... Uh, Eric has to assemble a ragtag group of circus performers. Yeah, a lot more of or less. Per- sur- capable circus performers to mm. sneak through a cave and, he, and He's, he's got a
1: pickpocket. He's got a tightrope walker. Mm. He's got a strong man. And he's got a guy who's just sort of generally good at stuff. <laughs> he's just sort of mysteriously. Yeah, yeah. I got the impression they probably wanted to bring that character back. Because, like, every time someone said something to him, he always said something weirdly bad. You know who he is? He's the Sphinx in Mystery Men.
0: Oh, there you go! He, like he's, he's terribly
1: just mysterious, very mysterious, but it's just sort of like, mm. what what happened to you? Last I heard, like you know, the 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 evil skeleton warriors had you uh, trapped up against the wall. The wall fell on them. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: oh,
1: oh, oh, okay. Do I, can I ask follow up questions? You may not. Like that's basically his whole character. But yeah, they assemble a ragtag group of misfits and they break into the place and they use all their special skills and then one of them betrays the other and love, it's just a fun. The, I like that episode. I love. I love stories about assembling a team of experts to do crazy, important, you know, difficult things. Mm-hmm. It's usually satisfying, like even if it's not done great, it's usually just a decent, fun adventure structure, and I'm a sucker for it every single time. <laughs> and you're right, mm. I do like Conan the Destroyer. Conan the Destroyer is the is the perfect example of a film that you and I both like, mm. that most people hate because it's cheap. And I'm like, I'm sorry, do some fucking work and just believe in something magical. <laughs> and I think you will like Conan the Destroyer, at least as a matinee film. All,
0: all of the characters are terrific. They're it's fun. You've got freaking Grace Jones in there, for God's She's sake. Great uh, in it. And the it, monsters are wilder and weirder. It's just sort of swinging for the wall. It it's Schwartzen- really funny.
1: It ends with Arnold Schwarzenegger fighting Andre the Giant in a unicorn Balrog costume to the death.
0: And ends up ripping out
1: its horn. That's cool, man! Yeah, like it's yeah. it's a fun movie. It's that, a PG thirteen con, and I know
0: that offends some people on principle.
1: Oh, but if you, ca- if it's if it... so much more fun than the original. I, I like the, the original the, the original's, better. The original's
0: fine, but without the edge, for some reason, it's better for me. I,
1: I, I like the original yeah. better, but I'm okay with both versions. I hmm. think both of them are equally valid, and both of them are way better than the Jason Momoa version. I haven't seen the Jason Momoa it's version. It's not but, good. Um,
0: Monique Deven played the tightrope walker. She's a New Zealand stuntwoman. She's directed a few films. She's she's had a long and interesting career. She steals all of her scenes. And yeah, so, yeah. She, she has that great bit where it's like, how are we going to get across this chasm? Well, we'll just walk a tightrope. She's very confident. Mm-hmm. And she, they shoot the tightrope. It's like, and you'll follow me, right, boys? And they're all very afraid. And she starts walking across and then says, I need to make it more challenging. And she starts like balancing on one foot and doing all the stunts. And of course she falls, but doesn't really fall because she's a stunt woman. Yeah.
1: No, it's it's a fun episode. It's Mm. one of the, it's the only episode, I think, where they play it Almost completely straight. There's wit to it, mm-hmm. but just because the characters are kooky and have no reason to be in the same room together. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, this, this episode just basically works. This is a good Xena episode. Hmm. And then the last episode is called Volcar's
0: Revenge. Um, he, the, this is the one with uh, that guy with the curtain for the yeah. shoulders that I talked about. I got
1: the impression this episode was trying to... Okay, so... I want I to take you back to Looney Tunes for a minute to create a metaphor here. Okay. Uh, when Looney Tunes were created, um, they had a bunch of heroic or anti-heroic heroes like Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck, and they had to have antagonists. And the recurring antagonists were people like Elmer Fudd, mm. a dope, you know, easily fooled, mm. not a threat, and... Yosemite Sam, dangerous, but also also easily duped. you, you You actually skipped ahead because Yosemite Sam was officially, specifically invented because unlike Elmer Fudd, Yosemite Sam was at least violent. Yeah. Yosemite Sam was a threat. So they invented Yosemite Sam because Elmer Fudd wasn't cutting it anymore. And so I think what happened was by episode eight, they were just like, okay, we got Dirk Blackpool and he's evil, but we like him. Now, especially now that he's bonded with the hero. I think what they wanted to do was start introducing a few other villains who, Hmm. you know, we can see Dirk Blackpool and Eric and all the other heroes sort of team up against them. Hmm. um, Because we like Vector and Dirk and all these characters enough that we don't want them to be evil all the time. So what happens is all the characters find themselves under the same roof. There's a big war going on outside. And Vector decides to use this opportunity to raise a demon... And have that demon assassinate all of his enemies. Problem is, uh, without his monocle, he's actually not powerful enough to control it. He can just raise it. Mm. So he raises... He Volcar. Looks, Volcar looks like if Brian Blessed
0: was wearing Gary Oldman's red Dracula armor. <laughs> which is cool. And, and they distort his voice, so he sounds like Brian Blessed, too. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I it, will destroy you!
1: Fantastic. So he. Gordon's a lot. So Volcar runs around, assembles an army, starts killing everybody, and
0: Dirk and Eric and everybody. I, they have to form an uneasy alliance and try to stay alive. That's see, fun. You say Brian Blessed. I pictured him as like a really violent Falstaff. It's just really robust. I I, I six to one half a dozen. Yeah, I was about other. to say. Wait, if we I, ever had a live a a, a staff in real life, it was Brian Blessed. Hold on a second, Brian Blessed has to have played Falstaff. staff. How could he not have? I've I'm never seen at, him play Falstaff staff in a movie. He might have played it on the stage or something. Uh, I'm looking at Brian Blessed. Did Brian Falstaff. Blessed play Falstaff? staff? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, my God, is he still alive? He could still he could he, play like an older. He'd Falstaff. be a very old Falstaff. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not sure how much yelling he's still. To, although he's really robust, he was. Uh, he's into mountain climbing, so he he was like yet. just like up on peaks all the time. Into his 70s, he was still climbing mountains. I don't know what he's doing these days. Uh, he has indeed played Falstaff. Okay, good. Yeah, there was, all is
1: right with the world. He, he did. Uh, he was in Stratford upon Avon. Uh, and, uh, they, like did, the, they, they the they, Royal the Shakespeare, okay. the Royal Shakespeare company actually did do Henry the fourth part one mm. with Brian Bussett as Falstaff. That sounds oh, I wanna, awesome. When, when was that? Okay. I couldn't when was tell that production? You, like 20 okay. years ago, five years ago. So 25 years ago now. All right. Yeah. Around oh. the time Flash Gordon came in.
0: Oh man. Right. Oh, I wish I, I would have, have been seen that coolest?
1: production, man. Well, I guess it would have been 1990, I guess, but right. still. Oof
0: yeah Volkar's pretty fun it's it's again it's a real he's a real threat but it's mm-hmm. all very he, light he uh, can't be killed the same way twice he's like undead and if you like stab
1: him in the heart he's immune to that from now on. So you gotta keep finding new ways to kill
0: him. Which They shoot, they shoot him with the cannon that we yeah. saw in early
1: episodes, a little bit of linking material. I, I actually like that idea for a villain because you always have to come up with a fun way. You always have to come up with a fun way to kill the villain. Like every well, episode's gotta end with a new crazy way to kill Volcar.
0: I've, I've seen that in science fiction before, That's, too. Like it's the, fun, the, though. with the Borgar, for instance, yeah, in Star Trek. But, but know, it's fun. They, they, adapt, they, they learn and they adapt and you can't kill them the same way twice. And it, and it forces the writers to get creative and mm. I appreciate that. Um, and that's it for the for wizards and warriors. It ended yeah. right there. No no cliffhangers. No promise of anything else. It just sort yeah. of was an episode. It
1: was an episodic series. Mm-hmm. There was some linking linking tissue. Um, I'm sure they were getting to stuff that you know they had stories they wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a really there's a lot of promise in it, and there's a lot of things I really like about it. But I feel like it was really struggling to find its tone. And every other episode felt like they were trying a different, like, a different amount of ingredients. Like, a dash of whimsy, but here we're going to have a big fistful of action. No, that's too much. Add more whimsy, and can we throw in some uh, dadaism? Why not? Like, I don't know. Like, they're just constantly shaking it up, and Mm. that could have made it, like, really exciting, and you never knew what was going to happen next, but... I was a little impatient for the show to congeal and it never did in eight episodes.
0: Oh, I, I think it hit this, the right tone right away. Okay. And I'm, I'm I, I liken this to uh, Hercules and Xena, but I think a more appropriate comparison might be the Orville. If you've seen the Orville. <sighs> I haven't seen the Orville. Okay, yeah, the Orville is, it, it starts out as sort of like a straight up spoof of Star Trek The Next Generation. They're really going for that tone. The ship looks very Enterprisey. The power mm-hmm. dynamic is very Enterprisey. Uh, and they make a lot of dick jokes and they're yeah. kind of crass Seth MacFarlane type humor. It's very few episodes in where they you realize they're just trying to tell Star Trek stories. Yeah. Like they're just, just doing st- it with, straight up they're Star Trek stories. just doing it their way. Yeah. yeah, are yeah. <laughs> doing and it
1: with a bit more humor.
0: Exactly. It's it's Star Trek The Next Generation with, not with dick jokes just with a lighter tone and a lot more humor well, to it. Well, so and, and, yeah, and remember
1: the things, the things you, that I think people forget often yeah.
0: especially in genre shows people are funny.
1: Yeah. People people like people. Human general, beings can make they, jokes. People, yeah. everyone's sense of humor is different, and some people have a better sense of timing or whatever or, or appropriateness than others, but people try to amuse themselves all the time. Mm. Like constantly. When you're hanging out with your friends, it's not somber all the time. You're trying you're playing with words or whatever, mm-hmm. and they always appreciate it when movies like incorporate that. It's one of the things I love about uh, the original Smokey and the Bandit. Okay. Every, all the dialogue in that, I know a lot of it was ad-libbed, but all the dialogue is people who are having fun talking. Hmm. They're having fun yeah, talking. Yeah. And you don't get that a lot in a lot of genre stuff. And here, um, you know, there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of humor yeah. in this. And I, I do appreciate it. The problem is the humor varies. And I feel like the humor isn't very consistent. Because sometimes it comes from character. You know Marco is his own character. Most of the humor mm. comes from him being sort of dragged along on these big missions that have very little to do with him, but he's such a good hearted person that he goes along with it. Um, but then Julia Duffy is again a kind in of slapstick a, figure. Well, right? she, again, it seems like she's the character mm-hmm. uh, who kind of almost knows she's in a fantasy movie like she no. says a lot of anachronistic stuff. I think
0: her and Tranquil are kind of the most self-aware ones, but Yeah, he's not in
1: it as much though. But yeah, she's she's just constantly just coming in from another universe. Mm-hmm. And I love that about that character and she's such a great comedic actor that I don't care about any of that. Mm-hmm. It just kind of frustrates me that the rest of the show isn't keeping pace or it's jokes are coming from different areas and it leaves the show feeling pretty, pretty inconsistent to me. Mm. You know, you see what I mean? Like it's just sort of
0: not very focused. I I, I don't, I think that's a feature, not a bug. I think, okay. I think um, here, here's the thing with comedy shows, especially like really broad slapstick comedy shows, you watch them long enough. And especially if the, the makers of the show have like done their research and actually come up with a setting and a set of characters and you watch them long enough, you're going to become really fond of the characters, even if they're broad archetypes. Yes. Look at the Simpsons. Perfect example. They were all really broad archetypes right at the front. You look at Barney. He's just the barfly. He belches and he's drunk all the time they eventually spent so much time with Barney that we had to get to know his backstory. And the show's been on for so long, that's happened with every damn supporting character on the show. Mm-hmm.
1: My Little Pony, uh, yeah. Friendship is Magic, did the same thing. Like, for their, like, I think it was like their 100th episode or something, mm. they did an episode that was just literally every background character had a moment.
0: There you there was go. Like, there yeah.
1: was a big wedding or something like that, and everyone was involved or getting in the way of it, and it was, like, this big love note to... Look, it's a, silly, cast, look yes. it's a silly show about horses that learn about friendship. Mm. But by this point, you're into it, right? Mm. By this point, you actually care about all of these really minor characters. So let's give them their moment in the sun. Mm. Um, I get that. Problem is, the show had eight episodes. <laughs> and I don't, yeah. I'm not necessarily connected to well, it. I,
0: but I can see it already happening. Okay. Where they're, they're building these characters to be broad archetypes. But they're also acknowledging that... They're humans and we're going to spend a lot of time with them. And I feel like it's, it feels like almost an entire like four season run in microcosm. Okay. Not that they rushed, but they got all of the beats out of the way right away. I can see what you're and talking And I think it actually did find just the right tome. It doesn't feel scattered at all to me. Some, you're right that some episodes were broader and funnier than others. Some were mm. just straight up adventure stories. And I think it's okay to vary that kind of tone in a comedy adventure show. Some can be comedy and some can be be adventure. You see that in any kind of show. Some are funnier. Some are more character-oriented. Some are more story-oriented. I think this was a pretty well-realized program from the sample we got. Yeah. Uh, from the beginning i think okay. the first one might have been a little shaky but it's the first one and then sure. they like hit their stride pretty early on they, the actors were all really good and i think the tone was th- really was just i funny. thought it
1: was pretty up and down you know some episodes were mm. funny some episodes were serious and i didn't really feel like that was necessarily by design i felt like they were just trying to feel out mm. how it worked but you know they had talent you know they had people trying to make it work and some of the cast is significantly better than others but I, honestly i think jeff gahnaway
0: is kind of miscast I don't think mm. he's... I, 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 I think they didn't really get a good char- uh, handle on the character. I think maybe if they had maybe. cast a comedian, maybe it would have been funnier. I, I, think,
1: that, I think that probably would have been the... Ca- well, he is a comedian. He was on Taxi. Oh, like, yeah, I guess so. They thought they were getting, like, a dashing comedian, and I think he ultimately ended up playing it too straight. Mm. Um, I think this was his chance to be the hero, and I think he took it a little too greedily <laughs> and when he probably should have forced it up a little bit more. We needed someone a little bit... This is too far? Mm-hmm. But, like, take James Marsden in Enchanted. He's a 10. We need, like, a 7.5. That's fair. Yeah. You know? Like, that's he's a little too much. Pull it back a
0: bit. Boom. Just he's a little heightened. He's, he's no Sorbo. No. <laughs> <laughs> then again, who would want to be these days? Well, these <laughs> days, nobody wants to be Kevin <clears throat> Sorbo. Yes.
1: Um, but, um, but yeah. If the show had gone on, there's actually a ton of stuff they never got to do. You just look at sort of the archetypes of the mm-hmm. fantasy genre. We never met elves
0: no, yeah, we never I was, was going to say monsters. Goblins. There was no, there was no like uh, season finale with a dragon. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they just well, they had an invisible dragon. <laughs> I mean, a visible dragon. <laughs> Boy, that was cheap. <laughs> that was a really cheap <laughs> episode. They They're too cheap to hire villains in this scene. <laughs> Don't they want their caves? Not invisible visible blood, blood on them. them.
1: <laughs> we're talking about the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode Cave Dwellers, but, which, for my money, pound for pound. Funniest episode of msd three K. One of my favorites. Just absolutely. Nonstop funny riffs. Like every riff lands. It's mm. great. Um, but that's another super mega cheap uh, fantasy the, series. Sword did you, did you see of... that the in the the latest season of uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand The Gauntlet? They did the first film in the Ator series.
0: Oh, I didn't see it. They did yeah, Ator I, the I, Fighting I, I, Eagle. I heard that they did it, but no, I didn't. It's, actually. it's I good. Didn't, it's I good. I it's, it yet. It's, it's
1: very satisfying because you finally get to see that like big long flashback sequence, but just two hours long (laughs) that's really funny um so yeah there was plenty of stuff they could have done plenty of stuff they could have explored um was it canceled
0: too soon whitney yes it was you think so absolutely i would love to have seen more of this there's no way something like this would have lasted many like several seasons again the target demo is weird yeah the target demo is me you see here's the thing if i'm like 13 years old and this thing comes on yeah i'm watching this yeah. What, are, what are you doing on Saturday? I'm rushing home and watching see, Wizards and Warriors. See,
1: I think Wizards and Warriors. Here's I think Wizards and Warriors messed up. Hmm. Should never have been an hour long. Should have been yeah, a half hour. Yeah, it should hour. have been a 30 minute show. Every episode, I agree with that. even the good episodes, every episode feels padded. Like, this is a half hour hmm. sprint, and you make <laughs> it a sitcom. Mm hmm. That's what you do. You make it a sitcom with some adventure elements instead of making it adventure elements with some sitcom stuff. And I think that's where people start connecting to it because they know how much they're supposed to laugh because with the exception of like the really broad stuff, especially from Julia Duffy, a lot of even the sillier stuff on this is kind of indistinguishable from a lot of the mainstream serious fantasy stuff we were getting at the time. Mm. You know, like it's they're, they're similar. Yeah. And... Uh, you don't want that <laughs> so like is it mocking the thing we love is it the thing we love is it a bad version of the thing we love cuz can... people who people who don't watch fantasy don't want to watch this yet but if you deliver i think if you deliver it as a sitcom with a slightly more satirical edge people would have been willing to laugh at it and then eventually
0: found themselves laughing with it i think it's okay and perhaps healthy To laugh at the things that we love. I agree. And, uh, Look at something, uh, to cite another, now I've mentioned all the Matt Groening shows, because The Simpsons, i mentioned Disenchantment, and I'm going to mention Futurama. There you go. uh, Because that is a science fiction show that is spoofing elements of science fiction. Yeah. It knows science fiction, it plays with science fiction, it thinks all of the dumb things about sci-fi are dumb, and yet is made by people who are deeply affectionate of sci-fi.
1: It's important to remember, this is Mm. really important, I think we're losing this. I think a lot of people think that to be a fan of something means to be unquestioning, and Mm -hmm. that's not... I mean, that's fanaticism. That's where we get the word fan from. Mm. But that's not really... That's a really narrow viewpoint. That's just being in a cult. That's that's not even like a fun cult where you're just telling people, we should see Rocky Horror this weekend. Like No, that's one cult. Mm. This is a cult where if you don't like... Zack Snyder's Superman
0: movies. You're not a snipes. You're, you're not a Superman You're fan not a real anymore, person yeah. anymore we don't and, like you. Like you know, that's that's fan- not helpful. Fa- fandom has always had an element of gatekeeping and I think yes. a little bit is fine but um hmm. Not, not to the point where you're alienating people, but uh, you no. Know, I
1: think it's again. My whole thing with gatekeeping mm-hmm. is gatekeeping isn't about keeping the gate closed. Gatekeeping about is about welcoming. Yeah, the the, uh, welcoming
0: people in. Yeah, listen. Like, there's a bunch of cool stuff w- behind this gate. Come, come here and check this stuff out because there's a ton. You, you have privileged information, and a, a, a true gatekeeper. No one listens. They're like Cassandra. No, I have this great thing over here. Look, <laughs> Look it's wonderful. You're <laughs> not paying attention. No, we're gonna Valerian. Watch- it's right over here. <laughs> Why are you running?
1: (laughs) Because you're yelling and being weird.
0: I know! (laughs) That's that's also something that makes me a fan. It's true. That's true. So, um. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, um, oh, about sort of uh, having affection for uh, something that you're really you're criticizing and satirizing. Yeah, you you, and you making can criticize, you can criticize and be fanatical at the same time. Is my point? Yeah, something like Futurama does that. That's I healthy. We- I think it's incredibly healthy, and I think we're losing something in the modern. There's like an anger, a chip on your shoulder, to a lot of modern fandom ge- uh, discourse where somebody can be a big fan of Star Wars and as a result, hate Spaceballs. It's like, no, Spaceballs Who is cares? for you. For If, if, you're, <laughs> fana- if you're a fanatic, <laughs> you it. understand the details that are being mocked yeah. a little bit more and you can acknowledge that those things are silly and worthy of mockery again, I, and still love the thing you, that's being mocked. Again, I think a
1: really, really key thing, and mm-hmm. I think it's really, really dangerous, is people stopped, like... People started like defining themselves by the stuff they like, yeah. Rather than defining the stuff they like by what they themselves are bringing to Mm. it. So, if something sucks and we like it, that must mean we suck. Mm -hmm. You know, if everyone thinks this thing is a bad movie, but I like this movie, what does that say about me? Nothing. It means you liked it. You're allowed to like it, even if other people don't. You're allowed or to <laughs> dislike it if other people do like it. It doesn't make anyone a bad person. It doesn't mean anyone is threatened. It's just we have different opinions. And on some level, yeah. Whitney and I love movies and television and comic books and video games. We, we, we make it our living. We love it. You have to acknowledge at some point that it's stupid. <laughs> Like, even, I'm sorry, even the most serious movie in the world, I'm gonna just say this right now, mm. Citizen Kane, pull yourself back, pull yourself back from Citizen Kane for a minute. Mm. It's brilliant, it's one of my very favorite movies, I would argue it's arguably the best movie ever made. At some point, a bunch of people in the 1940s played dress-up, pretended to be a bunch of, like, weird capitalists, and, like threw some shit together and got, like, really big for their britches and thought they knew about the world when they were only, like, 25.
0: And... Yeah, the conceit of Citizen Kane is worthy of mockery. Yeah, like, oh, 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 yeah. So we're going to make this, like, the best movie ever made. I'm, I'm, and we're 20, gonna make it, I'm 26, I'm going to make this movie, and yeah. it's going to take down Hearst, man. Yeah, and, like, and I'm going to make it about... Who <laughs> the hell are you, kid? I, and I'm
1: going to make it about a sled and possibly mm. about some really sexual innuendo. Mm. And, I'm, and it's, like, at some level... That's ridiculous. It what? works, but it's ridiculous if you pull yourself back from it far enough. Same thing with Batman. He's a billionaire who dresses up like a rodent and beats people up. Bats
0: That's our rodent. rodents doctor. Um, <laughs> Damn it, Whitney. I'm
1: am a I'm a film critic, not a Biologist. Biologist!
0: <laughs> <laughs> I almost said
1: botanist and I knew that was wrong.
0: <laughs> Bats are definitely not plants.
1: <laughs> I know that much. That's why I, So I stopped myself.
0: Oh, I, I mean, you can even pull it back even further. We invented this thing that can record moving images, so we put on costumes and prints around in front of it. Yeah. What the hell are we doing with ourselves? Well, we should be recording real life. That's the logical thing to do.
1: <laughs> like, it's re- we, we, as people, as a species, are ridiculous. Re- ridiculous and you know what every species is ridiculous look at every animal video you've ever seen online we all
0: have very strange habits we're an absurd species a lot of it a lot of what we do doesn't make any sense at all a lot of it is worthy of mockery and it's okay to look at ourselves as a species at our art at our specific selves and say golly i'm silly yeah. Golly, all of this is ridiculous. And I still love it and take it seriously, too. And, and love it and take it seriously. So, Wizards yeah. and Warriors reveals a very basic truth about humanity.
1: <laughs> okay, that might be. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's that, a slight exaggeration because well, I don't think that's what it's, they were going it's for. An example,
0: but, well, it's an example of how we can yeah. have, we can make fun of something and also have a legit version of it together in the same thing. And I think Wizards and Warriors does it fine. Is it a, my, a but, great series? No. no. but I had a lot of fun watching My problem
1: with that sort of, taking it back though, mm. my problem with that sort of egalitarian mm. uh, look at art, it's all ridiculous, it's all equal. Mm. Uh,
0: the problem with that is well, the, that Th- that's not what criticism is. no it's not ahead. it's
1: not what criticism is and I, I'm always hesitant when people just say like oh, it's just a superhero movie like mm-hmm. okay, but you can say that and you're not wrong mm-hmm. at the same time that doesn't preclude our right to have standards to say that we like one thing more than another or that mm-hmm. one thing uh, speaks to us more than another or that it has a higher uh, overall level of quality mm-hmm. than another version. Uh, I'm not saying that there is an objective truth. I'm just saying that Catwoman isn't perhaps as engaging a production as The Dark Knight. <laughs> uh, there, I said it.
0: How how daring of you! Exactly, <laughs> you so maverick.
1: That so. With all that being said, and I have a fondness for a lot, and when I when the time comes to give our year-end cancel too soon awards, I will remember Julia Duffy because she was so damn funny. <laughs> This was on the cusp of being like a cancel too soon declaration for me. But I feel like they never quite found it. Mm. And I'm not entirely confident that they were going to find it. If this is, I feel like oh, this okay. might have just been where they hovered. And if so, I think it's sloppy enough that I think it would have gotten tiresome after a while. So I'm going to say just on the edge of it that it was not canceled too soon. Oh. And that it had an okay run. And I wish it had a bit more of a cult following. I wish more people talked about it. But there are some people who do enjoy it and it's nice that we finally got around to it and I want to thank all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash critic uh, for picking this one because we've been wanting to get to it for a while and it was really great to have an excuse. Um, coming up this month on Cancel Too Soon, uh, we have another poll that will be uh, up on the site in the day or two and you're going to be able to tell us which primetime soap opera you want us to review in the month of July. And your are, options these are, are...
0: You can go to our Patreon page and then vote for these.
1: Yeah, and you have to, even at the $1 tier, you just contribute to the show a little bit and you get to help pick an episode every single month. Uh, and your options are all primetime soaps. And the thing with primetime soaps is nobody gave a crap about most of them. So a lot of them are hard to find, hard to find in their entirety. Mm. And so our options are frustratingly limited and we're, there's a lot we'd we were, like to we get to. We were doing to. a
0: lot of research trying to see, like, tapping into our resources, seeing what we had access to. And, and there were a lot of possibilities, mm-hmm. but we just didn't couldn't find those shows. Yeah.
1: Uh, so first up is a show called Pasadena, which was created by Mike White, who also wrote uh, stuff like School of Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was sort of a dark, creepy uh, I, I don't remember how creepy it was, but I remember it being sold as kind of a modern Twin Peaks, where there was some sort of crime or ghoulish incident that forced everybody to look within the upper echelons of society in Pasadena, the city where I grew up. So I know a lot about it, and I've always meant to sort of catch up with this one and see how well it captured the city I knew and loved. I believe only the pilot was shot there and the rest was shot in I was Vancouver, about to say, so you're okay.
0: <laughs> going to say how, see how authentic the, the locations are. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, Pasadena has a weird
1: uh, uh, aesthetic. As a a city. Mm. Uh, It's laid out, strangely. It's hard to get around in Pasadena. It's very spread out in very odd ways. And although everyone knows about the super swank Rose Parade part of town, that's actually a very small part of the population. And there is a a hugely working class and, and frankly, lower uh, in terms of financial situation Mm. uh, community uh, with a, a lot of crime it's actually like a really kind of an interesting microcosm of los angeles in general um so i always want to check that out and uh, we could do that uh next up we have 2000 malibu road which is about four women who live in like a duplex or a fourplex or something it's got jennifer beals as a lawyer it's got a young drew barrymore as an aspiring actor um and uh, the opening credits are pretty
0: are pretty special. <laughs> we, <laughs> no, we, we watched them, and it kind of cemented it for which us. We were just like, oh, yeah. we have to put this on the poll because it looks ridiculous.
1: It looks... It, the credits look like a porno. Like, the credits just look like, mm. we're just gonna, like, glide the camera over Jennifer Beals, and she looks... Sort of interestedly off to the left. Then there's like a hunky guy. And, and, in a they're leather po- jacket. and they're all posing
0: with like their their clothes are like blowing open in the wind, so there's yeah. a lot like a lot of flash on the, totally on the men and the women.
1: And then here's one you did a little bit more research on than I am. Deception. What was uh what was deception? Uh it's Victor Garber. Mm-hmm. And there's Deception and there's in it. There's Deception in it. Yeah. Oh it's snap.
0: Just, it's just one of I think of, it's
1: another one where there's a crime and it opens up an entire yeah, subculture yeah. that people don't know about. Um, so we'll we'll have all that on the Patreon page patreon.com slash critic acclaim we also have bonus episodes we just did a commentary track for I Know What You Did last summer that was a lot of fun Uh, we're gonna have new episodes of All Our Yesterdays coming up soon. We need to record a new one, actually, in the next Mm. couple of days.
0: Uh, It'll be up soon.
1: Yep. Uh, That's the show where we review every single episode of Star Trek in production order. Uh, We have a new episode of Only the Best, where we review every Best Picture nominee in history in chronological order. Uh, We should probably be recording that next week. Um, And then coming up soon, we'll also have a commentary track for Twilight. We are also going to be doing a, a commentary track, a episode of the canceled Too Soon monthly movie uh, where we're talking about the Patrick Swayze Hallmark Channel miniseries King Solomon's Mines and then coming up in July we're going to do our usual Christmas in July shtick. It's going to be a crossover with the great folks at Linoleum Knife. We're going to review the new Hallmark Channel Christmas movie and uh, something that Alonzo yeah. Giraldi assures us is very bad. So I look forward to checking that out.
0: Um, You and Alonzo Giraldi... Yes. Your you you two Hallmark buddies. Uh yeah. Uh, Alonso Duralde is a Christmas. We're called Hallmarkies. Hallmarkies. That's, yeah. There's a podcast there's called like, Hallmarkies. We it's caught on. It was like Bismarckies. Um, yes. You're you're very fond of the Hallmark movies. You've seen a lot of them. Yes. And I missed
1: uh, all of them this last year because I didn't have cable. But yes. Uh,
0: and uh, Alonzo Duralde is a Christmas junkie. He's written a book, literally written the book on mm. Christmas movies. Uh, Dave White, his co-host. And me, your co host, hate this. Yes. Hate this tradition with a passion. <laughs> because these movies suck. Always. Even when they're good, they kind of suck. <laughs> no. So, it's so great. It's, it's a wonder, wonderful crossover episode where uh, you and Alonso get to talk very enthusiastically while Dave White and I sort of grunt in disapproval had, from okay. the back.
1: We had a great episode last year where instead of doing like Christmas movies, mm-hmm. we did uh, Christmas commercials. Yeah. That uh, was fun. You that was, was, was kind of fun. fun. We all had a good time that time. Mm-hmm. But uh, this time, kicking and screaming.
0: Ugh, <laughs> the whole way. dragging me into the hallmark again. Dude, it's... Dude, it's crispy. Or, or, or the the Netflix Christmas Prince uh, Royal Wedding Part Four or whatever you got. I
1: want to I want to write a Christmas movie about me trying to get you to appreciate Christmas called Dude It's Crispy,
0: <laughs> or just Dude It's Christmas. No,
1: Dude It's Crispy.
0: That's what we call it in my house. Crispy. Have a crispy Christmas. Is is Crispy spelled with a K or with a C H? Crispy is spelled with a P. Oh, I see what you mean. No, it's spelled with C C H R I S Crispy. Yeah. Okay. Crispy, but with an I E. Crispy. Yeah. Crispy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I, I'm I'm baffled by you. We sometimes. are. <laughs> That's that's
1: fine. Uh, I have no comeback. It's I'm it's, just baffled. it's okay to find the things that you love ridiculous
0: <laughs> and still take them seriously. Good, good to bring it back. Thank around. you very
1: much. So, everybody, thank you very, very much. Thank you to all of our patrons for helping support the show. Uh, if you can't afford to become a patron, fair enough, but please leave us a review if you can, uh, uh, wherever you find us. Uh, we're no, there's no such thing as iTunes
0: anymore, but whatever Apple's got going on, I we're th- there. I think it's just called Apple Podcasts now, like it's its own separate well, entity. But we're we're lazy. on we're on that. We're I- iTunes, trifurcated Stitcher, on
1: Podbean—we're yeah. we're all over the place. Leave a review wherever you find us. That helps a lot. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at CancelCast. We're also at Critic Claim, and I'm at William Bibiani, and I'm at Whitney Seibold. Um, and uh, that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. Wait, what are we doing next week? We're doing that HBO show. Yes, <laughs>
0: we forgot to announce.
1: Yeah, next week we're going to be doing the HBO show "Here and Now." Here and now, uh, by I, a I keep wanting request. to call it
0: "Now and Again," which is a different show, totally different show, uh, and it's also a canceled too soon show. It's on our list. Yeah, but yeah. But now we're here we're, and now. From we're doing HBO. here and now. That's what's doing. Yeah, that was a listener request, and we're doing that next week. Anyway,
1: that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. <laughs>